0: Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for each one here. Thank you, Lord, for the simple reminder that we can follow you with all of our hearts. Guide us as we open up your word, and we also lift up the persecuted church, that you would continue to give them the perseverance and the power that they need to keep following you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been thinking about the persecuted church this week. For those of you who don't receive this newsletter, um, it's an inter- interdenominational newsletter, Voice of the Martyrs. And as I read through the the June newsletter, which usually reports on persecution areas, zones of the world where people cannot outright read the Bible or share the Bible, or zones where there has been some recent oppression. And we've heard about some of this on the news lately, especially in some of the countries where the Muslim population is great. And so this month's issue, as I read it, it started out like this from the president of Voice of the Martyrs. He said, as we worked on the June newsletter a VOM, Voice of the Martyrs, field worker sent us a report about the April 2 attack by Al Shabab militants that killed 149 people at Garrison University in Kenya. Some of you might have heard of that story. These individuals are reporting on it from a religious standpoint, not just the political and the news standpoint. And so we have these people on the ground there and this VOM field worker is reporting that the extremists went door to door asking the students if they were Christian or Muslim. Can you imagine that? Somebody comes to your door, and no, they're not the usual two-by-twos, but they are coming there, and they come to the door and say, are you a Muslim or are you a Christian? And they have weapons in their hands, and if if you say you're a Muslim and you're actually a Christian, they'll ask you to quote part of the Quran, and if you can't, they'll just go bang, shoot you right there. In fact, one of the children was wrapped his legs around his father's leg, and they shot his dad right in front of him there. And those who said they were Christians outright said, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, they killed them as well. When attacks like the ones in Garza and Hindi occur, I ask, if someone observed our lives for one day, one day, would we be found guilty of following Christ? Would our words and actions convict us of being followers of the one who lives in our hearts? If they observed us for one day, You say, well, the good day, yeah, Sabbath maybe. No, one day in our lives would we be convicted. He goes on, would we, like the Christians in Niger, return to our churches the day after they were burned? Imagine this building being burned down and consider a privilege to have been found worthy of suffering for him. They come to the church, the charred remains, and they say, you know what, yesterday we were terrified, today we worship. We are moving forward and following Jesus. Would we become family to the children in Uganda who are rejected by their parents for following Christ? Totally ostracized and becoming spiritual and physical orphans. At least they feel that way. He goes on, May we all be found guilty of following Christ. And if called to suffer for His sake, may we also consider it a privilege to have been found worthy. A privilege to have been found worthy. God knows how much we can handle And as these Christians, quite a few of them, are suffering for Jesus, they're saying, you know what, I'm not going to stop following Him. Even if they slay me, I will not stop following Jesus. And that statement, that idea of following Jesus, really is a ripple effect from the New Testament times, is it not? Then we find Paul and others who were imprisoned for their faith. Paul, who there he is in prison and he's writing the book of Ephesians and he's encouraging people. He's encouraging them to keep following Jesus because this is the source of his peace and this is the source of his hope. And let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. He says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. You're going through some kind of suffering and Paul is saying, just remember the gift. You ever have a token that somebody gives you that you keep on the wall or you keep somewhere forever? It just reminds you over and over again that when you're going through a tough time, somebody cares. Paul's saying, that's what Jesus is doing. I have a note in my office. Every time I open up my drawer to get a pen or to get something out of there, there's a little note that says, I love you, Dad. A little kid's handwriting. Small little sticky note has a little home in my office. And what Paul's saying is, remember, remember that God loves you when you're going through those trials. Look at the grace, the kindness that is found in the gift of Christ. Is that gift without measure? Could you, would you, trade in all the gifts of this world for it and still find those gifts are not enough? This is what Paul is saying. It's so overflowing, so wonderful. When you consider living forever in a place where there is no more hardship, when there is no more pain, no more suffering, but but also there's just this atmosphere of love forever, that's a huge gift that we can never, ever inherit or purchase or find ourselves striving for in this world. It's only given by Jesus. And so Paul starts off with this idea when he continues in Ephesians 4. He's like, we have this peace, but in order to maintain that peace, you've got to remember the gift. And what happened when Jesus gave his life? He goes on in verse 8. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Not only is there the gift, but he's saying there are gifts as well. He's pouring out victory gifts in each one of our lives. This is the language of a conqueror. You know how in the ancient times, the kings would go through, take the book of Daniel, for instance, and you have at the beginning of the book of Daniel a record of how the royal family, Daniel, more than likely was part of the royal family, they were taken captive, and where were they taken to? All the way over to Babylon, marched across arid and semi-arid regions, and they were considered trophies of the victor. This is what's being described here. All ancient kings knew that when they came back from the victory, not only did they have captives, they had plunder and goods, men, men women, and children, and they would have them trained behind them in a victory parade. Find that record all the way through the Bible. And especially you get into Paul's day with the Roman Empire. And so he's saying here, when Jesus ascended on high, when he left this world, he didn't just leave here and say, well, that was a good fight. I won the fight. He actually took with him the right, the access to this world as he defeated Satan. And in a way, Satan is, if we trust Jesus, is like a helpless captive behind the cross of Christ. I'll say it again. Satan is like a helpless captive in light and behind the cross of Christ. And not only that, when he went up to heaven, it says he showers out these gifts. A uh, victor would do that as well. They would be monetary gifts, or, or a certain person uh, needed a servant, and they would get a servant or an animal, and you would pour out these gifts to different people that you favored. Isn't God favoring all of us, though? This is talking spiritual. Not like he literally had to beat Satan up and, and drag him behind up into heaven and put him on uh, some wall up in heaven and nail him to the wall. No, this isn't talking about that. That happened to Saul and others in the Bible. This is talking about spiritually, since the cross, Satan is defeated. And because of that, Jesus pours out his favor to our world, to those who invite him to pour that into their lives. And he ascended, but what does that mean? He also first had to descend to this world. In order to have that victory, he descended far above the heavens that he eventually might fill all things. And we saw in the first part of Ephesians that that comes at the second coming. So right now, since the cross, He is pouring out, lavishing on us, what we need to have victory over this foe that He has defeated, what we need to have victory over this world that sometimes gets very discouraging, until that day when He fills all things, when He comes again. And so Ephesians 4 points out that Jesus is the conqueror. The cross is really the huge gift, and He gives us gifts. And so as I read this, I wrote down in my journal, Murray, you are of eternal value to me the gift is without measure i descended to the world i fought the fight of faith that you could not fight can you defeat satan and win on your own now i remember one time hearing a story i think it was uh, an evangelist i think it was ron halverson senior and he described how he took an individual visiting with him and if i'm correct in referring to this correct evangelist This guy was a former boxer, and he was going into this demon possession situation, and the boxer's like, I'd like to give Satan up, you know? He's a new Christian, tough guy. He goes in there with the evangelist, and he is dealing with demon possession. And what happens is it's overwhelming. In fact, when the demon comes out, bang, hits the boxer right in the stomach, doubles him over, and and he doesn't see the fist, of course. And, of course, the boxer is like... Man, that that guy is powerful. Now, this is a powerful foe. We cannot fight him on our own. We need Jesus. He says, I fought the fight of faith that you could not. I defeated the enemy and now can pour out my grace and gifts freely upon those who invite me to do so. Do you, Murray, want my heavenly gifts? Put your name there. Do I want those heavenly gifts? Do I want his presence in my life, his victory? In my life. Paul's saying it's offered to us freely. Invite my presence. Spend time focusing on me and what I want to do for my church. I'm in control. So if I was to kind of boil that down to one main point with this verse, Paul is saying spend time looking to Jesus, looking to the cross. There he is, but he's also not dead. He's alive. He's victorious at the cross. He's my heavenly conqueror. Follow him by looking to him in his victory. But he goes on, verse 11, and he gave some apostles, and the word gave is the same word he had root that you have gifts back there in the previous verse. So we know it's linked to this. What did he shower out upon us? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. These are leadership gifts. You say, well, I don't have one of those. Might be surprised. I remember somebody who would always get to the hospital before me, which was fine because I lived a little ways away, and when we went through and we talked about biblical gifts, I said, you know, you have a shepherding gift. You really seem to care about people, and before, whenever there's a need or a hurt, you're praying for them, you find out you're right there at the hospital greeting them, praying with them, and then I come in a little later, and I'm so glad that you got there before me because it really prepared their heart. It really helped them through some anxiety, and I was a distance away. And she didn't want to believe that. She had a shepherding gift, like a gift of nurturing somebody in the journey, So you might think that you're not a pastor or teacher, a prophet, evangelist, or apostle. But these gifts are given to the church along with others. And it tells us why. You look at the apostles. They're going about planning new churches. They're overseeing maybe local leaders like Timothy and others and encouraging them. They're they're, they're really a broader leadership, aren't they? And they have these apostles who also are known to have been with Jesus. So not only overseeing huge sections, but they're also ones who had seen Jesus, prophets known in in ancient texts as seers, they had also in some way seen heaven or Jesus, evangelists who are proclaiming Jesus, pastors and teachers, oftentimes a nurturing gift in the local context, but also they go out and proclaim Jesus. So all of these gifts are for lifting up Jesus. And it tells you right here, for the perfecting of the saints. And Russell Burrell, and then will, will take the comma after saints, and they'll delete it and put forth the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. So the saints are doing the ministry, but I think it's both. I think it's the leaders who are doing ministry, because how can you encourage someone else to do what you can't do? You're not doing yourself. So we can't just say, well, the members are doing the ministry, the 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 pastors are equipping them for ministry. I don't think that, that dichotomy really exists in Paul's mind. We're all ministers together, but there are leadership roles as well. So, for the perfecting of the saints, the mending of the saints, the role of leadership is to draw your hearts together as one. I have tried figuring out how to do that. I always get them all to work together, get them all to do this, get them There's so many programs and stuff, but the one that keeps coming back to me was so simple: keep pointing them all to Christ. If they would all connect with him, Ellen White says, the closer you grow to Jesus, the closer you come to each other in this oneness. And so the leaders should be doing that so that we all would do the work of ministry. That is an official office. It comes to the idea of service. We have some deacons who are set aside for ministry, but we also have others who minister without necessarily being officially in office. And what's the overall goal? The edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Imagine a building that has bricks in it. I remember a church in Nebraska. It had pretty much all bricks until the tornado came through and knocked it down and knocked part of the gable end wall in. And we had to replace all of that. And eventually we skimmed it it over with drywall and a beautiful-looking sanctuary afterwards. But I remember looking at those bricks when I'm preaching, and I'm looking over there, and there's so many bricks laid up there, aren't there? To build up a brick wall in a church and to hold all this weight from the roof. And Peter and Paul make it clear that each one of us is like a brick on the foundation of jesus christ and we continue to be built up like living stones in the temple each one of us matters in that you can't build a wall with just one brick oh, there's the pastor over there on the foundation of jesus christ there's the church right now you have them all interconnected together stones connected on the cornerstone itself we all are important in this we all are being built up to the body of christ so leadership builds up the body of Christ until something happens. We all come into unity. And you like that word oneness? Well, there it is again. Homo this idea of oneness of mind and purpose. Oneness of the faith and the knowledge of the Son, Jesus Christ, Son of God, and unto a perfect man to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. We all begin to grow up and become more and more like Jesus a prayer that God put on my heart years ago for my kids was to, that they would grow up to be the people God wanted them to be. God wanted them to be. I have no plans for one of them being a lawyer or a doctor or this or a pastor. No, it's what God wants them to be. He will direct their path. And this is what he's saying here is that God has a purpose for each one of us. We will all grow up into that purpose, discover what that is, seek him for it. And you'll find yourself ultimately becoming more and more like Jesus. Individually and officially, we all begin to minister for Jesus. So I follow Jesus to the cross and see his victory, but here it says, I recognize, I follow him by recognizing he lavishes leadership gifts, peace from heaven to me now. And this builds up his church. An example of him lavishing peace. Imagine you're this pastor in Niger, and you find 94% of that country is Muslim and you have just been literally evicted from your church and your homes, and you're running through the streets. Imagine us all just fleeing here, group here, group there, and all of that, and they're saying, they're right behind you, keep going, keep going, pastor. And that's what happened. He felt stressed out, he felt shamed, as he ran away from the protesters who were going to destroy homes and churches in his town. And it was linked to that whole thing in France where somebody had um, made a cartoon and all of that. And this happened back in January 17. And there he is fleeing this village with his wife and children and even, even a Muslim lady who fled with him. <laughs> it was such a, a real heart-thumping event. And they got to safety. He felt still a little bit shamed. But this dear Muslim lady said, You know what? I must have seen something in their lives when they were fleeing. I want to know more about this Jesus. In essence, lead, this family leads this Muslim woman to Christ, because the Christians who trusted God. The pastor goes on and encourages his flock. He says, "A sense of hope was born. They realized the attacks actually united the body of believers. Before the attacks, they were preoccupied with their own lives. Well, you know how that happens? You know, we've got all these things. We can watch gadgets and gizmos. We can keep our mind occupied, and, and we don't even well, we not even need church. do we can watch it on 3BN or? Or internet, right? He's saying they were so occupied with their own lives. But afterward, they visited and took care of each other. They experienced a new level of community and oneness. And so this pastor was clear that every one of them was a witness. And as the flock scattered, his main job was to encourage the flock and build it up and encourage them to unite together. And that's what he did. But they all ministered and witnessed to Jesus together. That's really the mission of the church. We've seen that we accept the gospel plan of salvation that works in our lives. We become part of a group of believers. We're all part of that. The church then shows the wisdom of God to everyone, including the forces of evil. They cannot stop the church that's trusting Jesus. And as a result, we got over to Ephesians 4 last time, a couple weeks ago, and it says, Jesus' love in the church brings peace. And we maintain that by focusing on Christ, the author of peace. And here Paul's saying, you keep focusing on Jesus. You maintain that peace by following Jesus. Follow him back to the cross, follow him up into heaven, but also remember, he is coming back again soon. So, how do I maintain that focus? All right, young people, here's your answer to your FBI sheet. I'll look it up in my Bible here. You can look it up in yours Genesis chapter 3. We go back to Genesis and see how peace was broken, but how God continued to try to extend it to our fallen human family. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. The eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened after they had that fruit. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Okay, what does that have to do with maintaining this peace and focus on Christ? Keep reading. Genesis 3, verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So, what's happening? God is pursuing them. He knows they're fallen. But He is within His nature to keep pursuing each one of us with His presence and His love. And that's exactly what He's doing here. And it goes on, and there will be consequences. He'll communicate those, but... He is letting them know that He has not given up on them. Verse 9, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? And so He said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So what is the sound that He hears in the garden that the cool of the day? It's the voice of God. I heard the sound of your voice and I was afraid. The sound of your voice. Could it be the seeking God's voice is that simple? To seek His voice means you gotta spend time with His words to know if that's really His voice or not. But once you do know His voice, you follow that. I remember we were, showing a, we were looking at a lamb up in a Hay hayfork area and as I looked at that lamb I noticed the family who was showing us his sheep, the sheep would come up to them and didn't seem very skittish until we all came over there near the fence You know what happens, don't you? I mean, those things, those sheep began to run, even from their their owners, because there was these new voices, these new faces, all of that going on. They literally had to take the the shepherd's crook, wrap it around a neck and try to grab the thing and hold it over there, bringing it over to us. And meanwhile, mama lamb is you know, getting after us. Isn't that what happens? You know the voice of Jesus makes a whole lot more difference than a voice of somebody else. And even if somebody was to approach us from afar, If we know the voice of Jesus, we could recognize that and say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with that. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 10, which, yes, young people, you have two answers on your sheet there. John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. They follow me, and no one can snatch them away. And how do we follow? He says they know my voice. And so we must spend time noticing his voice. Paul has said, look to the cross, look to the risen Savior, keep following Jesus. That's the answer. We listen to his voice. That maintains a peace in our hearts. Revelation doesn't make a mistake when it says that his voice is like the sound of many waters. You could take that as an ocean if you want, crashing, penetrating sea type sound. Or you could take it as you're sitting there beside a waterfall and it's just pooling over there. Either way, loud or soft, his voice brings peace. His words bring peace. you ever been sitting there in a situation that's been very stressful? You, just, you open it up to a particular psalm. I opened up the Psalm 22 this morning, and as I was reading that, it just peace. It just felt a a sense of peace. Revelation says in chapter 14, verse 4, that God's people at the end are known as individuals who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. To follow the Lamb, the shepherd sheep, you have to know the shepherd's voice and trust Him. And so Paul mentions following Jesus. And the first way was to look to the cross. second way is to recognize that he pours out leadership and encouragement here to the church. But the results are clear in verse 14 of Ephesians. It says that when we follow Jesus, the results of Christ's leadership, him leading us, him guiding us, after all, how can you follow somebody? You know, you look at someone who is offering leadership to you. They're really not leading you until you're following them. So Christ offers leadership to the church and says, if you would all follow me, yeah, I'll send people with different gifts to encourage you along the way, but you're all going together and following me. He says in verse 14, the results are that we would henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Things just don't come and, oh wow, you get excited and then it goes. This is something that lasts. Not by the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And we know the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so we don't want that type of doctrine. We want the doctrine that causes us to grow more and more like Christ and doesn't leave us being tossed to and fro. And that word tossed, if you go look into other parts of the Bible, but especially um, Paul's writings, he's referring to ship language. Something like you can find in some of the Hellenistic texts. you look at Plato, he was quoting Socrates Socrates said, in a ship, if a man having the power to do what he likes has no intelligence or skill in navigation, do you see what will happen to him and to his fellow sailors? So say there's a mutiny on a ship, and somebody takes over the ship, and the guy who causes the mutiny says, I'm going to be the captain, and he doesn't know anything about sailing. What's going to happen to that ship? We all know what's going to happen to that ship. By luck, he might make it to an island or something like that, by God's grace. But more than likely, he might even go sailing right into a tsunami or, or something like that. A few years ago, the HMS Bounty Replica was actually sunk because it went into a hurricane. Uh, the captain knew the ship was not seaworthy, uh, had maintenance issues, and he sailed right into, right into a hurricane. He died, and so did part of his crew. Some survived. And this was this a was saying here, we're not going to be tossed to and fro anymore. We're not just going to follow some leader and eventually be destroyed. This is a leader who will lead you to life. And his student says, yes, I see that they're all going to perish. But Paul is saying, that's not going to take place for the ones who follow Jesus. They're not going to be children. They're not going to be tossed around. They're going to grow up and be like Jesus. And as I look at Jesus, I find that he, especially after he began his ministry, it's very clear from from his childhood all the way up to there, but especially from that point on, he would not be shaken. Not in the wilderness, not at Gethsemane, not at the cross. He was not tossed around. This morning i was reading also for my devotions uh, a section on david it mentions at age 30 david was pretty much became king of israel the king in israel he was king of of course in hebron at first in judah and eventually all the nation and you have david just being a mighty man from that point on you have joseph from that point on in his 30 years of age and then jesus from that point on all of them being leaders for god and so paul's saying the result of christ being your leader is you've got a firm course set and you will not be shaken. doesn't mean Satan won't try, but we will keep following Christ. Verse 15, what also happens is we speak the truth in love and we're going to grow up into Him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. We all know that our body is interconnected. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, Make maketh increase of the body to the edifying of itself. And let's unpack that for a minute. So we're all going to grow up and become more like Christ as we follow him. First we see him at the cross, then we see him he's resurrected in heaven, and then the third point will be he'll be coming again soon. But in the meantime, we're going to continue growing up physically and spiritually like Jesus grew. And who's the head of our work in our church? It's Jesus Christ. He's the one who sends the gifts. He's the one who sends the people. The effectual working in the measure of every part. Mm. Isn't, there every, isn't there? Aren't there more than one part to a body? We all know that. I remember I was sitting there, talking to my neighbor. He was sharing part of his story of his life, and as I had a U nail, I guess there should be a sermon illustration. There. Watch out for a U. Watch out for you. Okay, uh, you are part of the problem sometimes. So there I am with a U nail, and I tap, tap. You know, you just start to tap it and set it a little bit on the fence have the fence pulled up, start tapping. My neighbor says something interesting and I just, it just coincided with me swinging that thing back for a final swing on the thing, which I hardly ever do that. And as I looked up and swung at the same time, wham, there comes the hammer right there on that finger. I didn't say, I didn't say a word except for, goodbye. And I, <laughs> I turned and I walked into the, I walked really fast. I had to keep from running. Uh, I didn't want him to feel like I was being rude, and so I go in the house, and you know how that sits, that sits into your stomach, like, this really hurts, and almost like you're going to get sick to your stomach, so I grab a thing of vegetables from the freezer, I, I don't remember what I said tomorrow. my wife. I think it just kind of went right to my room, I laid down, and I just, poof, there I am with the ice on my finger, on and off for I don't know how long, now that, that 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 thumb really doesn't seem that important a lot of times it bumps into stuff in fact when you hurt it you know how much you use it and how much it's being used all the time because every time you bump into something it hurts but when it is hurting isn't that the whole focal point of the body take care of me take I mean the whole the brain everything is focusing on that one part of your body that means that one part of the body is just as important as any other part of the body it's all connected and that's what Paul's saying here yeah, you look to the cross, you, you recognize I'm up in heaven, but I give you all gifts so you can all grow, encourage each other, and grow up in Jesus. And you're all important. The whole body works together. Well, yeah, I wish to say that was the end of the thumb story, but you know, uh, when you have chickens and the thumbnail starts kind of ejecting from the main part, if you've ever done that to yourself, it starts lifting a little bit because of the blood underneath, and it starts pushing the new one out, well... I didn't have a band-aid on it. I figured it was good enough by itself. <laughs> I should have had the band-aid on it. Because when I was running after this rooster and I reached down to grab the guy, he wiggled around and got my finger by a fence and I pulled back this way to pull him up and it snagged on the fence and you all know what happened. Oh. So it's got a little piece left on there. I go back in the house, I'm sitting on the toilet, my hands going like that and I said bring me the cutters. And so we just start snipping away until it gets down to that little part that's left. And then from now on, it's got the Band-Aid. But you cannot convince me. First of all, that thumbs are a good idea. I mean, they're not a good idea. That, that thing is very useful. But also, you cannot convince me that it's not as important as every other part, including here, 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 everything is connected. And so in love, we recognize that each one of us is important. Each one of us has gifts. Each one of us, when we're hurting, we all surround each other and minister to them. But each one of us can point people to Jesus, and we can all grow closer to him. That pastor over there in Niger, uh, which once again, 94% Muslim in the country, he said, a lesson I see for us is that God encourages us to continue to love the Muslims, despite what happened, despite that they chased us, despite that they burned pastors' homes and members' homes burned our churches, killed 10 of us. I see that God encourages us to continue to love. We cannot have that type of love for those around us, especially if we don't have it for each other here as well. So Paul is saying we follow Jesus to the cross, we see his love for us, we have a ministry, but that ministry includes each other and then the world. We have this love bubbling out and flowing over to those in the world To follow means we must spend time focusing on him, using his gifts, allowing him to lead, which means someone's got to be the leader then. We follow him all the way to the end. And Ephesians 5 says you're going to be called followers of God, dear children. So, following Jesus, with Christ as our leader in heaven, we're going to stay the course all the way to the end. Are there going to be battles? Of course. Look at this quotation. Battles are to be fought every day. A great warfare is going on in every soul. Just look in the mirror. There's a battle between the prince of darkness and the prince of life. I want the prince of life to win this battle. She goes on, there is a great battle to be fought, but you are not to do the main fighting here. You're not the one doing the main fighting here. As God's agent, there are Satan's agents and God's agents. Satan's agents are known very clearly in the Great Controversy book as being right-hand helpers of the devil, and their biggest contribution is a spirit of criticism. Let's say it. As God's agents, we are spirits, individuals who are led by a spirit of love, and we yield ourselves to him, that he may plan and direct and fight the battle for you. <laughs> Isn't that nice? I mean, it's like there you are. You've got the armor of God on, which we'll talk about next week, and you think that it's you. You pull the shield up, the Roman shield, and, and the barrage is coming towards you, and you think you're going to be going forward, and God's like, uh uh-uh. uh And he takes and rushes forward into the battle as a mighty warrior. Faces the battle for you with your cooperation. You've got a part to play. The prince of life is at the head of his work. He is to be with you in your daily battle with self, that you may be true to principle, that passion when warring for the mastery may be subdued, how? By the grace of Christ. You keep looking to his kindness, that you come off more than conquer through him that loved us. Imagine a leader who is not just someone who was installed because of some particular political position, but someone who is your fellow friend and loved person, the person that you love, and they are leading you into battle. Do you know why Alexander the Great, with 40,000 troops, was able to just totally pulverize Darius and his huge army, especially with those chariots with the spikes sticking out that could just take a man's leg right off? You know how that happened? Because he and his cavalry were brothers. That's how and they maneuvered around and had a huge victory over them because they felt that this man was their brother as well as their leader. If that's Alexander the Great, surely Jesus is better than that. Surely we can trust him as our brother, as our victor, and he will lead us into battle, but not allow someone else to do it or sit back like a king and let all of his forces go, and then he claims the victory. No, he will lead us straight into battle. He will face the foe for us because he loves us. She goes on, Jesus has been over the ground. (laughs) He knows exactly what we're facing. He knows the power of every temptation. He knows just how to meet every emergency and how to guide you through every path of danger. Guide you through it. That's a good, encouraging word. He who has given his precious life because he loved you and wanted you to be happy. Isn't that a parent's joy for their child? Is They just want him to be happy, true love true prosperity. He'll be captain who will always be mindful of your interest. He will lead you through it if you follow him. I think that's somebody I can follow. What about you? So I look to the cross and see what kind of victory he has had, crushing the head of the serpent, and he's my conqueror. I look to the fact that he's in heaven, lavishing gifts and wonderful things upon each one of us to build up his church. But I also look and realize he is my leader, leading me through all of this to heaven, if I will follow him and stay the course with him." So, Paul followed Jesus and was encouraging them through this book, look to his victory, his gifts, his leadership. Look to Jesus. That question comes up, would we be guilty of following Jesus if they looked at us for one day? This individual, I blew up the picture. I, didn't, I eliminated the blood because it's there. Um, in this magazine, it says a young boy clung to his father as militants dragged them, his father and the son, from their home and into the Kenyan night. This is happening in Kenya. Where are you taking my father, the boy asked during the struggle. Don't take him away. Moments later, while still hugging his father's leg, he watched his lifeless body of his father drop to the ground. What will you do with us now, he asked, his father's killer. The boy's father was among 13 men and one teenage boy who were slaughtered after nightfall on July 5, 2014, the day after we celebrated July 4 last year. A dozen heavily armed men who went house to house searching for Christians in the village of Hindi attacked that day. The attackers passed by the houses of Muslims, but they tied up all the Christian men before shooting them or slashing their throats. One believer who had refused to renounce his faith was found face down with a Bible placed on his back. It's that photo. More than 3,000 people fled the area during the attack, which reportedly was prompted by the alleged theft of Muslim lands and Kenyan military presence in Somalia. The killings in Hindi are representative of the growing number of violent attacks by Islamic militants in the predominantly Christian Republic of Kenya. And So the question comes, you may not be grabbing the pant leg of your father, you may not be running from your home, but the question comes, in this time of ease, am I following Jesus? If they looked at my life for one day, would they see me following Jesus and make me guilty in their eyes? So I'm gonna look to Jesus for his victory because this will come eventually to our country. It's elsewhere now. We can pray for those brothers and sisters. We can help those brothers and sisters. But the biggest way we can help, they say, pray for us. Pray for us, the persecuted church. And if I'm not following Jesus, then why would I pray for the Christian church around the world? So I want to follow Jesus, look to His victory, serve as He enables me, and follow Him all the way. How about you? These are the ones who are not defiled, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. May we keep following Jesus. Amen.